0: Jonah. Who's Jonah? Anybody know? Yeah, all right. He's a prophet. What's a prophet? What's a prophet do? Oh, you didn't say prophet? Oh, right. He got eaten by a fish. All right. All right. He's also a prophet. Jonah, he got eaten by a fish. What else do you know about Jonah? I need audience participation this evening, or we will not be able to continue. He got out of the fish. Okay? Yes? He ran away from God. Hold on. What's, but isn't he a prophet? Okay, what's a prophet? A messenger of the Lord. Okay. What do you know prophets, what do prophets normally, like, who do they, what do they do? They're a messenger from the Lord. Like, what do they what do? They do? They talk. Okay. What? They the word of God. All right, they preach the word of God. So specifically, a prophet is someone who's a messenger of God, so he's sharing God's words, right? So we hear a lot of God's heart, and he's, he goes to, to share God's message or God's words. But who's he sharing with? Anybody know? People, unbelievers... All right, we're going to do some Old Testament survey. This is pre-college before you're in college. You ready? Check this out. A prophet is a messenger of God, who specifically, we often see the messengers of God mainly speaking to God's chosen people, Israel. You guys know who Israel is? Is Alan teaching you anything? Well, I'm going to have to have a really long conversation with him. There, Israel is God's chosen people of God, right? Right? We as believers now, if you're not originally Jewish by blood, we're kind of what the Bible calls engrafted into the family, we're like adopted into the family of God because of Jesus Christ. So we don't necessarily have to be about, you know, of that bloodline. But in the Old Testament, Israel was a chosen people of God, and so they're a chosen race, they're, they're his chosen people. It's, it's what most of the Old Testament is about. It's about Israel, God's people, and their journey of how God brings them from being a sinful, fallen people who can't get anything right into, back into his presence again. And so there's this period of time, you know the exodus, remember the exodus? There's like Pharaoh, you've heard of the Pharaoh. There's a period of time where, where God's people are in Egypt and they're kind of in bondage and, and in slavery to the Egyptians. And so God brings them out of the exodus, that's the book of exodus that we have that tells that whole story. And then a part of exodus, where are they going when they exit Egypt? Where do they go? Huh? Huh? The promised land. So it's this land that God promised them that when they go there, he's going to bless them and they're going to be, they're gonna be just, just full of everything that they ever will need will be there and available to them. And so they get to this place and what do you think happens? Do they serve their God? No. In fact, most of the time during the way, they don't serve their God. They forget about him. They're, they get complacent. They kind of do what we as believers and what the church kind of falls into doing every once in a while today people of Israel, all through the Old Testament we see this story of how they're when, when everything's terrible and horrible, where do they go? Where do they cry out to? They cry, they, cry out to God. they cry out to their God. God, why is life so miserable? God, will you help us, God? There's no rain, there's no food. God, will you help us? And then what happens what, 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 when everything's okay, what happens then? Who are they crying out to? Themselves false gods, false things that are not going to bring them any kind of satisfaction. And so God then, in these periods of times, when the people, his people, his chosen people, who all he desires is for them to be reaching out to him and loving him and wanting nothing more, more but him, all of a sudden these people who are supposed to be all about their God don't want anything to do to him, and he sends prophets to speak to his people for him because they're not listening to him. And so he sends physical people to prophesy, to speak these things and saying, basically in a gist of what most time we hear from prophets is, turn back to your God. Israel, your God is loving, he's caring, he's just, he's merciful. All these amazing characteristics of this God that that Alan shares with you consistently every Friday. He's teaching you a little bit of it. You get a little bit more of a glimpse of, of the full character of who this God is. So the prophets are sent to God's chosen people who have fallen away from him and they're going, Remember who your God is. Remember that He's just. Remember that only in Him is satisfaction. Remember that only in Him you'll find true joy. Remember that He's the reason that you're even in this land of blessing and why everything is going okay. Now, do you think people often listen to the prophets? No. Why do you, why, why? Why didn't they listen to the prophets? This is a. This is a good thing to be telling people. Why didn't they listen to the prophets? Any other? Anybody else? You falling asleep? Huh? What else you got for me? Why wouldn't people want to listen to that kind of a message? They liked where they were, and the other side of the message was, if you don't turn back to your God, what's going to happen? All of the blessing, all of the good stuff, all of the enjoyable things, they're going to go with you saying no to your God. And so we see this whole story unravel and, and these, these just attacks come on the people of Israel. And then for, for a while, God gives them mercy and grace because he turns back to them. And then a period of time where God still has to follow through with his plan and they get what we call exiled and all this stuff. We're going to talk about that in a minute. In a minute. But basically, the prophet is one who would go to God's people in a period of time when God's people weren't listening to him. And they would cry God's word out to them, come back to your God. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He's the reason that everything's going the way that it is right now. Turn back to him. But if you don't, destruction's going to come. If you don't, you're going to be destroyed. If you don't, you will be exiled. You will be brought out of this promised land where everything's supposed to be good. He'll bring you out of it completely. Turn back to your God. Now, oftentimes, the people that were hearing this from the prophets, they didn't want to hear it. But there were instances in the Bible where the people that were being prophesied to turned because they heard and they said, we have done a terrible thing. We've forgotten our God. And they turned back to him. This is what's happening in this story of Jonah. The problem is the prophet at this period of time doesn't like it. But we're going to find out a little bit more why as we get into this. You ready? Everybody know what a prophet is? Yes, you have a question? We're in Jonah. And we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, I'm going to try to get to. It'll be about two and a half hours long. I'm just kidding. We're not going to be that long. We'll get through it. You ready? Nope. Not all of Jonah 1, just part of it. Here we go. Jonah, chapter 1. Jonah is a prophet. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, here's the first part. He's a prophet. He receives words of God. This is a divine word of God that he's hearing, right? So it's not like we have the Bible at this time. Jonah's not walking around with the Bible and he's displaying the Bible. He's actually, God is actually going to speak through him God's word because this is how God would speak to his people at the period of time if they would listen. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and God says to Jonah, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. Now, this is what we talked about. God's saying to Jonah, go to Nineveh, because Nineveh's in a place where there's so much evil, there's so much stuff that's going on there that it's risen up to me, and I don't like, you, you need to bring them back to me, Jonah. Prophesy to them. Tell them the kind of God that I am. So, Jonah, in response to this, God says, arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. This is normal prophet would go, God would call the prophet to go to these people that aren't listening to him, but, uh oh, he says, but, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now you're probably wondering, why is there a map up here? Well, because I have a test for you later, just kidding, I'm not going to have any tests. I want you to get a picture of this because this is, this is important here, you ready? Anybody know what this green dot is? What do you think this is? Anybody? Alright, you have three options because we have three different places we're talking about tonight. What's this green dot? Nineveh! This is Nineveh. Good guess! Now you have two more, two more guesses, you ready? You got a 50-50 chance here. What's this? Tarshish? Yeah. Nice try. All right, what is it? Listen, if you don't get this right, what is it? Huh? Joppa. Joppa, Job, Joppa. You can really say whatever you want with these names, because nobody really knows what they are. So we, can't, we don't ever really pronounce it right. But I would pronounce it Joppa, right? So this is Joppa. Now, it's a little, t- it's a little port. It's a, it's a port on the edge of the water here. This is all water. I didn't, well, you can see this from the drawing. It's a little confusing. But So this is a port. And this is the land here. Nineveh's up here. Jonah is currently just north of this little, this little shipyard, Joppa, where all the ships would be, would be going in and out with trade stuff on it. That's how people would get their merchandise everywhere they needed to be. Right? We didn't, we didn't Amazon it or FedEx it. right? You couldn't really do that. They didn't have drones or anything back in the day. So you had, to, you had to go on a ship. So Jonah here, God says to Jonah, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. You don't have to get on a boat. I just want you to go to Nineveh, they say it's about 500 miles northeast, right? That's all all God tells him to do. What's Jonah do? Jonah hops on a boat going 2,255 miles the opposite direction. He doesn't need to go on a boat. The boat doesn't have to be in the picture here. You guys know Jonah as a fish swallowing him. There's no fish on land. There was no need for him to go on a boat. He completely disobeys what God tells him to do. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So in this period of time, the Bible says he, he, he flees to flee from the presence of the Lord. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. We're going to find out why in a little bit. But here's Jonah, a prophet. He knows he's called by God. God calls him to go and do what he's supposed to do as a prophet, to go to prophesy to somebody, tell them about their God. Tell them to turn back because the evil was risen up to the Lord from them. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went, this this is costing him to get on this boat that he doesn't need to get on to. Have you ever paid for something that you really didn't need? You probably knew you weren't, you shouldn't have gotten. You ever done that? I do that. I still make that mistake sometimes. You will see as an adult. You like when we're not thinking, now the worst part is that Jonah was thinking. He was putting. Everything he had to get as far away from the presence of the Lord as he possibly could. But this is a prophet. should not he know? Like Jonah, dude, this is God. His presence is everywhere. You can't get away from this. There was, there was actually uh, the, the Tarshish. There's, there's, some people would say that on the boat, there was this theory that if you couldn't see any further, that that was the end of the world. So the boat was like the next logical thing. Jonah was looking and he's going, I'm going to go there because God can't be out there. There's no way that the presence can be out there, so he flees. He pays money to get on this ship that he doesn't have to get on because all God told him to do was walk on the land. Two thousand five hundred miles, the opposite direction. He went. He paid the fare. Went down into it. So he goes down into this boat. I don't have a picture of the boat, but can you picture one of these like one of these boats that's like a, it's like a round and then it's got sails on the top of it? I, I mean, I know it's not very descriptive, but you can picture it, right? You know what a boat looks like. We live in New Jersey. So he goes down in in the bottom of this boat, right, where there there, there would be people rowing. They would store things. That's where they would sleep. And then all the action would be happening on the deck where they'd have to man the sails and they have to get everything ready. Jonah pays these dudes money who are already running the ship. He goes, hey, I need to go to Tarshish. He pays the money, goes down, That's my phone, I'm sorry. I'm a terrible distraction. Can you uh, just mute the side of that? Jonah pays the money, he goes down into the bottom of this boat, and they go off to sea. Go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, it's not really going away from the presence of the Lord, but Jonah thought he was going away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And the tempest is like a major storm. I mean, it's like the perfect storm. You guys seen that movie? Kind of a little bit far-fetched, but seriously, this is the perfect storm. Imagine being in this little boat. Jonah's in the bottom of it. We're going to find he's kind of like sleeping, because he didn't really care about anything else. He's sleeping about in the bottom of this boat. There's this crazy storm going on. And these people are going, what is going on here? It was so unnatural that they start asking what has happened to us? What, is, what have we done? So they, uh, Hold on. Mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, the people that were sailing the ship, were afraid. And each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So if you lighten the load of the ship, you get rid of all your supplies, there's more of a chance that you'll be able to survive, because it won't be so heavy and bogged down, the water comes over and sinks it, right? You guys all get that. You're in high school. I don't have to explain that. Then the mariners, they were afraid, each of them cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. This dude was told by God to go on land. He instead buys a fare on a boat. He goes to the bottom of it and sleeps until he gets to this place, thinking he's like, oh wait, he's like safe. He's like, oh, I'm in a boat now. God can't get to me, everything's good, right? All of a sudden, God sends this huge storm up. Jonah had gone down in the inner part of the ship, and he laying down, and he was fast asleep. And so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? He's kind of like, what are you doing sleeping? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps your God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. So they're saying, they don't even, these people don't even believe in a God. I mean, these are, these are people that are from all over the place. They don't believe in the God of the universe. They believe in many different little gods. So it's like the God of the sea, and the God of the air, and the God of the rain. But at this point, they're going, whatever God's going on here, we've got to figure out whose God it is, and who can help us have favor, because we're going to sink. We're all going to die in this place. So you even go to Jonah, who's sleeping in the bottom, going, what are you doing, dude? Will you wake up and cry out to your God just like we all are? See if your God's going to stop it? Perhaps the God, the God, right, this is... It's, it's not like it's the God of the universe that, that can't really be run from his presence, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Now, when I was little, I thought like casting lots was cool and we could still do it today. It's kind of like, like a, I don't want to use that example. It's, they kind of they had these sticks and on the end of them, they would kind of hurl them together They throw them up in the air and they'd drop and whatever stick was pointing to that person, that was the, that was the person that, was, that the, the lot was cast on. It was like, that's you. So they'd ask the question and be like, whose fault is this? They'd throw the lots in the air, whoever was pointed to, and it pointed to Jonah. Now, I had always questioned this. I'm like, all right, we don't do that today. I mean, that's, like, that's like something that psychics do or whatever. But that was God's form often in the Old Testament because the reality is this sovereign God has even control over those things. Think about how perfectly that's ordained and structured, right? And in all of Scripture, we see this. I mean, everywhere you see casting lots, it's never like, oh, that lot was wrong. Let's, let's pick it up and try it again. It was always right at that point. So They use this as a mechanism to determine how they, would, how they would know whose account this evil has come upon them for. So they cast the lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they say to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come up to us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And they said to him, "I." and he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So Jonah explains to them, he's like, yeah, guys, it's me. I'm sorry and the reason that all this is going on. I fear the presence of the Lord. He knows at this point. He ran from God, doing what God told him to do. They even are questioning him like, who are you? What are you about? Why are you here? What are your people from? What are your people even about? All of these answered every question that they had of what was going on. What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now this moment, these people didn't really believe in the God of Israel, the God of the universe. But, They did believe that in that present circumstance, this God that Jonah believed in was the God that was controlling the wind and the waves. So they even will find that they're even going to cry out in this period of time. Though they don't fully believe and trust in him, they still acknowledge him as being God because of the sovereignty and because of the way the circumstances happen, right? So they're kind of believing in this God at a point because of Jonah explaining to them, hey, I ran from God and he's trying to get me out of this boat. (laughs) So they're going well, we believe in this God, and you better get the heck out of here because you don't belong here. We don't want this to, to happen to us. What is this that you have done, they say. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, more and more large. The, the, the water became so so wild and the waves were so big that they, they couldn't handle it anymore. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest, this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. So they they hear Jonah say this. Now think about this. This is where the rest of the story plays in. Because why is Jonah fleeing Nineveh? God's called him to Nineveh. Well, what's in Nineveh? That's the real question. See, Nineveh is not where the people of God are. Nineveh is where a group that we call the Assyrians, this is their kind of their kingdom that we'll hear in the rest of the story. We're not going to get to it tonight. But Nineveh, as Jonah knew very well, they're not the people of God. But God's calling Jonah to go to Nineveh to share how loving and caring he is and that they should turn to him. But Jonah doesn't like these people. Do you know why? Because in this period of time, when the prophets are prophesying to Israel, God is prophesying through the prophets that Nineveh, that this kingdom, is gonna be one of the kingdoms that comes and exiles God's people out of the land. God's gonna use the people of Nineveh to exile his own people for disobeying him. Jonah knows this. So here's Jonah, hearing this word from the Lord, God's going, hey, go to Nineveh. Immediately in Jonah's mind's going, why, why am I going to prophesy to Nineveh? These people are going are to are come and destroy us and wipe us out. Why would I even dare to go to Nineveh? This is why Jonah, instead of just taking the trip to the land, hops on the boat and tries to flee from the Lord because it's not that he doesn't trust God. It's that he does trust that God is going to do what he says he's going to do through the prophet and that these people could possibly have a chance of being able to surrender their life to God and be transformed. These people could become believers in his God, but he doesn't want to prophesy to them. They're going to come and attack him. He hops on the boat. He goes all out there. He doesn't have any concern for these people. In fact, he would much rather that that these people would die and be perished, that God's judgment would come upon them for the wickedness that they are doing. Now, think about that and the response to these people on this boat that Jonah hitchhiked a ride with. Jonah comes into this boat knowing darn well what's going to happen, pays them their fare, goes into the bottom of the the boat, and sleeps. In the middle of the ocean, this huge storm comes up, threatens every life on that boat. They cast lots. They decide, hey, it's going to be Jonah. What does Jonah say? Throw me overboard, and then the the sea's going to calm. Deal with me. Let me die and the sea's gonna calm. Nope. Hold on a minute. Jonah's a prophet. Isn't he supposed to care about people? These people, who don't know his God, who don't know anything about his God or about him, have more sympathy on Jonah's life than Jonah had on the Assyrians. Crazy to think about. These people, instead of listening to Jonah, they turn around and they go, then they said to him, what will we do to you that the sea may quiet down? Jonah says, for the sea grew more and more, more stormy. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will, be, will quiet down for you. For I know that it's because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't. The sea grew more and more stormy or tempestuous against them. They were there. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They get it now. So, even in this last bit of sympathy, they're saying, God, don't punish us for this man's life. But, in the best interest of the rest of us, they're going to listen to what Jonah says. And what do they do? They pick him up and they throw him into the ocean. What do you think is going to happen? It's going to calm down like crazy. It's going to be, you guys ever been down to the ocean, like down to the bay, where it almost turns into like a lake in between the tides, and there's nothing going on. It's just totally flat. It's the time you go out water skiing, because it's easy for people to get up before it all comes back in again. Totally flat. Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode harder, trying to get back there. For they called out to the Lord, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Even in Jonah's disobedience, God still used him. But, don't get the impression that because people are being used by God that they're perfect. Jonah had a serious issue. God's calling him to prophesy to a people that we're going to find later in the story, well you can if you would like to read, later on in the story we find that when Jonah finally gets off he gets eaten into the, into the whale's mouth, God spits him out three days later out of this, this hole of death really, he shouldn't be alive or survive from it. He gets back up, he goes into Nineveh, he he. He prophesies to them as a prophet is supposed to. They completely repent. They turn from their wicked ways. God restores them. And what happens? Jonah still gets mad. Jonah's still like, really, God? I knew I didn't want to do this. I knew you were going to save these people. See, God's calling this man, Jonah, to go to a place where he knows they don't want anything to do with him or their God. In fact, not only that, but he knows that they're going to harm him later on. They're going to harm his people later on in life. But God still calls them to him because of his, his mercy and his grace and his love in the story. One of the things that I want you to really think about tonight in this story, yeah, it's cool, there's a whole bunch of background behind it, but there's a couple of different perspectives here, and the one is God's perspective. There is no one that is too far gone for God's mercy and his love and his grace to be shown to. There's this really cool story in the rest of this and it's it's very short. You can go home and read it tonight. The rest of the story is is Jonah actually goes back and these people, after hearing this, they repent. They turn from their wicked ways and they, they start to fear and to honor God. Now it doesn't happen for long because after this king's rule, somebody else comes in. But for this period of time, God shows mercy and grace on the people there. Instead of destroying them the way that he, that he told Jonah, Jonah's message was, God's going to destroy you if you don't turn from him. And they hear him this time, and they turn from him. Unlike the people of God that Jonah probably was, would have been more excited to go to. If you were Jonah, you're kind of like, God, really? Why do I got to go to those people? Why can't you send me to my people? It's, it's easier. I mean, they know you. They may not like me. They may get a little bit of persecution, but... Hey, at least I know that you're going to save them, that, that, they're, that they're, a, they're a part of our clique. God says, no, I want you to go to the least unlikely. I want you to go to the people that you couldn't even imagine me saving. Because it's there that I'm going to show grace and mercy. Now the cool thing about this, too, is that the extent of God's mercy and grace is so Shown here, I may know what the word, what those words even mean. We I use them frequently just because we, it's just part of our Christian vocabulary. We know what grace is. How would, you, how would you, describe grace? Anybody? What's grace? Yes, we got. Okay, it's love. Grace is an outflow of love. It's an extension of love. But more particularly, what is grace? How could I show you grace? How could you show me grace? just give you a, a simple example. What if I showed up 20 minutes late tonight? How could you show me grace? Did you know that three times in the past Alan has asked me to teach Ignite? And those three times I told him yes, I would. And three times in a row, I accidentally booked something else, like weddings, or like important things that I couldn't say no to. And I had to back out on him like three days previously. It's only by the grace of Alan that I'm here tonight, right? Grace is like it's undeserved favor, it's it's love that really is not deserved. Like we we get it's totally okay for us to say no. You know what? Alan could have totally could have totally gotten somebody else and been like, hey, it's all right. I won't even ask Dave this time. I love to teach. I love to be here with you guys. Not that I didn't want to. Alan showed me grace by doing that, right? So, because of God's grace, these people didn't want anything to do with God. They were so far from God's, from God's call on their life. Yet, the grace and the love that He had from them is that He's sending a prophet to them and giving them another opportunity to hear His words and to hear His heart and for them to either repent and turn from it or to not and to face judgment. They repented and they turned from it. And they received His mercy then. What's His mercy? Realize that none of us deserve to be able to be believers. You know what the mercy of God is? Any ideas? What's the mercy of God? What, do you, what, what happens when you say, when we cry out, mercy, mercy, mercy? Where is that? When, you have, when, when you're like, when you're playing, when you're arm wrestling somebody, right? Or you're wrestling on the ground dudes? You got somebody in chokehold and like, mercy, I'm done, I'm done. It's giving up completely. It's realizing that we have no shot. We have no shot in in doing anything right. And yet God says, I still love you. I'm merciful to you. Not only that, do we not do anything right? But the punishment for us not doing it right is supposed to be death. Immediately. But the mercy of God is that he holds off on that punishment. That if we believe in Jesus Christ, that that's completely wiped over us. But his mercy here is shown even more extensively before there was a sacrifice to be be paid. God showed mercy to the people of Nineveh through Jonah and the rest of the story. There's this whole aspect of who our God is and how he loves and he cares for all the people in the world, the end of Jonah says. The, The end of this book. Verse 11, and should not I pity Nineveh? He's, he's kind of going back and forth with Jonah at this point. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? They're ignorant. And also, much cattle, even the animals. God's showing mercy on the people there and their livestock and what keeps them alive. There's these cool pictures of, his, of all of these characteristics of this loving, caring God. These people didn't deserve him. But he sends Jonah to them. And even though Jonah says no the first time and Jonah has to learn a really important lesson and Jonah's really wrong in a lot of senses, if Jonah didn't go to Nineveh, a lot of people would have lost their life at that period of time. Jonah would have been responsible for that. There's a piece in 2 in Chronicles that speaks about the blood of, of those that we, do not, that we do not pour our lives into when God calls us to being on us at Judgment Day. Jonah could have been responsible for all of them, but God's plan is always greater than our mess-ups. See, right now, you could be a believer, he could have called you out, and, and you could be going on missions trips and all those people over in England right now, and they could be doing all these good things, but the reality is that inside, each and every one of us fails to be completely obedient to Christ every day. And I know that you know that. It's not something that I have to explain or I have to convict in you. You know that you can't seem to get this right. You have this, this standard that Alan teaches every single week, and for some reason, you can't live it to its fullest extent. That makes God's grace and his mercy that much greater. Should we continue in doing that? Am I saying that's not important, don't do it anymore? No, what I'm saying is that even the prophets were shown grace and mercy and love. And Jonah learned from this. We hear great extensive stories, not within the Bible, but in different, different accounts of who he was and little historical things that we hear. God continued to use him. God was gracious to him and he taught him lessons through difficult times that Jonah went through, yes. But Jonah was God's. If you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're, you're God's. And at any moment, in any period of time, he calls us, to come back and say, Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry, to repent, and to turn from that and come back to him. Day after day after day after day. Perfection is not something to be obtained on your own and in your own strength. Perfection is given to you as a gift because of the blood of Christ being washed over you. We saw this old nature that's always competing for this new all of the time. You're going to get it wrong like Jonah did. You might have gotten it wrong today like Jonah did. You might get it wrong and where are you are going to spend your money and the choices you're going to make and where you're going to go. Inside of the sovereignty of God, if you are his, and you continue to turn back to him and to reach back out to him, he's always going to welcome you back with open arms because he loves you. You're his. That's why there were prophets in the Old Testament because all God wanted was for his people who have turned away from him to turn back to him. Sometimes it's through challenging and hard circumstances and we, we still pay the result of those things that we do that we're disobedient in here. There's still wisdom that says don't do them and we, we can grow and learn from the scriptures how not to do them, how not to walk in the ways of our old selves and the things that we're supposed to do, but to walk more worthy in the way that we're called to into the way that, that the Spirit of God can, can live in and through us in this newness of life. Remember this aspect of Jonah here, these prophets, they're not perfect. Now, when they prophesied, they were held to a very high standard. When they spoke the words of God, if they spoke something that was not going to come into fruition, that, would, that was death. I mean, there were, there, were, there were unmentionable things that if they were to speak and say, this is the word of God, and it wasn't really the word of God, there's a big penalty for that. So don't get me wrong in saying that. But in Jonah's personal life, he went through challenges too. He didn't always make the right decision. He learned as he got older, and we're supposed to learn from one another. We can learn from these stories of Jonah. The Lord doesn't want us to turn away from him and to run from his presence and to think that we can get away from him. He doesn't want us to have to go into a boat and to try to travel 200, sorry, 2,550 miles away, the opposite of direction of what he's telling us to. He would much rather have Jonah have said, yes, Lord, give me the strength to do this because I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want these people to be saved. I don't want them to turn back to you. But he still could have gone. He could have taken that money and used it into a a quicker ride to get up there. He probably didn't even have to walk at all. That's the same for us today. If you're called out, you're His. We've been adopted into into the family of God by, by Christ and what He's done for us. And then the next aspect of it that I want to challenge you in is that just as Jonah is here and God's using him in every situation, That God God desires and wants to use you in every situation. And oftentimes it's to the least unlikely people that we could ever imagine. It's the people that you could never even considerably think about in your mind coming to know him or changing their lifestyle around or coming to know Christ and having him just fill their hearts with his love and his life. But God wants to reach those people. His mercy and His love and His grace is for them too. He cares about every single one of them. The question is, is God calling you and are you running from it or are you going towards it and trusting that that He's going to use you in those periods of time? One of the biggest challenges that I remember, and I went to public school my whole life. I had a very rough childhood at home. but When I got saved in high school, the Lord did some crazy things with people in my school that I was, I was selling drugs to at the period of time before that, before I got saved. And these people that I couldn't even, I mean, these were hard. I was, I was selling drugs to, like, make my dad mad. I wasn't this hard dude. I wanted to be on the outside. But I knew some hard guys who were jumping people every day who, who like, I could never imagine after getting saved. I'm like, that guy isn't even close. And just even a year ago, that person that I'm thinking about right now messaged me on Facebook going, hey, you were always a really good friend to me. I just need to talk for a little bit. Unbelievable. God wants to reach these people that are around you, guys. Even the most unlikely. And the cool thing about the prophet's testimonies is that it's never us doing it. It's always the Lord. Which should allow us to be even in in a in a better place, and realizing it doesn't even matter if I'm good or not at it. If God desires for it to happen, it's going to happen. I'm just here as a worthy vessel. Are you willing to go to the places that not many people want to go to? Are you willing to talk to the people that you could, you could never imagine being those people that God wants to go to and reach? We have people in the imprint right now that came out of drug rehabs off of heroin in, in Florida. Now, they're not the the greatest people in the world. They're still smoking cigarettes. They still curse every once in a while. But they've realized that God loves them, and they come every Thursday night. And they come to every event that we have. And they're not even developing the greatest friendships with people because people look at them as being like these people that God, like, really, are you really saved? Every Thursday night they're coming. These are hard people that we could never imagine. I want to challenge you tonight. Whether you're in a Christian school, if you're in CCS, or you go to a public school, the Lord wants to use us in ways that you probably never even want to think about, like Jonah. But I want to challenge you to give that up to the Lord. Are you listening? Are you allowing his word to speak to you in those places? Are you even in the the, the place before the Lord where you're saying, Lord, send me? Jonah was there, he just didn't listen afterwards. He was there, though. Are you in that place saying, Lord, where is he want me to go? Are you able to hear the word of the Lord? That comes from spending time in the word. It comes from fellowship. It comes from prayer. It comes from surrendering your life to him. The prophets were called to a very high standard of life, and so are we as believers. We're called to be obedient to Christ. doesn't mean perfection. It means that because of what he's done in us, we're able to. The question is, are you going to submit to that and allow the Holy Spirit to give us strength and power to be able to live the way that we're supposed to, be able to answer the calls that we're supposed to? It was more unlikely for Jonah to get to that place than it was for him to get to here, yet he chose that path because of bitterness in his heart, because of a misunderstanding of the people that God was sending him to, because of a misunderstanding of his God's heart. Jonah thought his God was just all about his people and that was it. We have glimpses of this in the Old Testament where God says, no, all my people matter to me. I want all of them to turn to me. I want them all to know me for who I am. Those little idols that they worship, those other little gods, don't even compare to me. But I want, want you to think about that in your small groups tonight. I want to challenge you as you go out of here and you go back into the school place. Who is that person that you can start pl- praying for? And, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not saying like you just walk up and do it just because I'm telling you to do it. My point is step back. First, are you listening to the word of the Lord? Can you hear the word of God if he calls to you like Jonah was? Are you in the place to hear from the word of God? Are you in the word? Do you know God's character? Do you know how much he loves the people around you? That will transform your heart and the way that you see people and you see things around you. And the second question is, is if God's calling you, are you running from it? Or are you running towards it knowing that he has a great and awesome plan for that? Whatever it might be. I want you to really think about that and be challenged by that tonight. God wants to use you. He loves you. He cares about you. He died on the cross for you. But he did that for everyone else too. And he wants to use you to share that with them. You'll never be able to get away from his presence. He'll always get you where he wants you to be. Are you going to go kicking and screaming? Or are we going to choose the the right path the first time and learn from Jonah? That's the question tonight.